0: Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the Voice of the Nazarene, a week by week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the Voice of the Nazarene. Wouldn't you hate to take somebody else's phone call? (laughs) I can just imagine what I could get into. It's good to have you. If you're a guest, I can't see you. I've got the lights on me, but uh, we're thrilled to have you in service and we welcome you by live stream. Hope you'll share back and uh, put share and share it with a lot of friends that are on your Facebook list. My uh, last message uh, a couple Sundays ago was about uh, first pray, prayer first. I mean, before you do anything else, we ought to pray first. Before you sell your home, put it on the market, you ought to really pray about it first. Before you do any career adjustment, it'd, it'd be wise to pray about it first. Before you quit your job, better have a place to land, you better pray about it first. In fact, no matter everything we do, we ought to pray about it first. God wants to be first in our life. And we ought to seek first the kingdom of God. God desires to direct our lives. And over this last week, thinking about a series here on prayer, I've been thinking about prayer and fasting. It's not an excitable theme to some, but uh, it's interesting. And probably the most outstanding chapter in all of the Bible about prayer and fasting is, is this 58th chapter of Isaiah, And uh, about the fifth verse on, he's talking about fasting. And uh, he says in verse 5, Is such a fast that I have chosen? He's asking, God's asking, Did I choose the fast that you're on? And uh, now I want you to notice in verse 6, God says, No, this is the kind of fast that I want. Free those who are wrongly in prison. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free remove the chains that bind people, verse 7, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help, you ever get a knock on your door and there's somebody wanting a handout and you leave the lights off and you act like you're not home well it's quiet today isn't it well they were fasting back then and and it was an improper fast, so God comes along and he said, No, here's the way to do fasting and do it right. And he says in verse 7, Share your food with the hungry. And I thought, Lord, you're not only asking me to abstain from eating, but you're saying that I also need to share with others who are hungry and they're without food, and I give some of my food to them while I don't eat some of that food. And I thought, I don't even know how to go about something like that. But the more I thought about it and prayed about it over this last week, and I didn't meet with the board about it. You just have to trust your pastor on this one. I'm thinking that it'd be good for us to do some kind of a fast, just like he's talking about here, sharing what we have with others. And I don't know whether it'd be proper to put a trailer out here on the parking lot and fill the trailer up or just all of us, bring some food in next Sunday and the following Sunday and all during this uh, prayer series and uh, place it in the uh, grand foyer. We'll put a place for it. If every one of us brought a can in every Sunday, can you imagine how much difference that we can make, whether it's through Salvation Army, whether it's through Born or some kind of an outreach? But I'm convinced God will bless us when we begin to bless others. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. Now, I know prices are up at the store. I, I go with my wife, not to shop, but just to guard my uh, credit card. And when she's putting it in and she looks around to grab something else, I, I pull it back out and, you know, put it back, well, anyway, just in my head. And I'm challenging all of us, let's do some additional buying. When we get something, let's buy an extra. And over the next few Sundays, let's bring it in. And let's make it that kind of a prayer and fast that moves the heart of God. Now, if you're watching online, you say, well, uh, preacher, I'm not there, and I, I can't bring any food in. Well, give a monetary gift and send it, and uh, we'll go buy some food with it, and you can join with us in this cause. little boy was talking to another little boy, and he said, I, I know how to get along with Mama. And the other boy said, what's that? He said, everything she says, just do it. May I say to you, I know how to get along with God. Everything he says, just do it, okay? Now I want us to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I started out on this two weeks ago. I exhort thee, therefore, first of all, not second, not third, not fourth, but first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercession, and the giving of thanks for all men be made. So he's saying, I want you to pray First, now, here in John chapter 15, verse 7, the Bible says, If ye abide in me, and my my words abide in you, he said, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So how do you pray and get results? I mean, nothing will build our faith any more than praying for something, and God comes through, and God answers, and you see the result of your prayer, it makes you feel like praying some big, big prayers, doesn't it? One of my heroes lately has been George Mueller. I mentioned him a a couple Sundays ago. He had a passion for people after his conversion. Fact of the matter, in his lifetime, he brought in and housed and fed more than 10 people thousand orphans. This is during a time in, the, uh, in English history when the plague had come through and multiplied people had died and little children were left to grow up on the streets without a home to go to, without a mom, without a dad, no schooling, dressed in rags, going through garbage cans trying to find food. And he would bring these kids in and build an orphanage and he'd try to feed them. My understanding is that he never once asked anybody for a penny to feed his orphans. Now here's a 10,000 kids that he fed. Here's 117 schools that he started for the orphans. Now when he died, there were stacks and stacks and stacks of journals that he had written. He would write down the needs and they were astronomical. Hundreds of kids to feed, sometimes they would gather in in the morning and gather around the table to eat and Mueller knew he didn't have anything to feed him. And he would ask somebody to pray grace over the kids at the table. God bless the food and there wasn't any food there. And by the time he'd finished the prayer, there was a knock at the door and here's a wagon loaded full of bread and here's a milkman pulling up and said, I got way too much milk to sell. Can I donate it to your orphanage? Time after time. And as they begin to go through his journals, counting up the prayers that he had prayed that were actually answered, and he had written it down in the journal, they found 50,000 prayers that he had prayed. Now, I don't know about you. That's the guy, that's the kind of people I want to learn from, okay? And somebody asked him, how did you do that? Well, he said, when I had a need, and it would be great, he said, I would go to my Bible And I would take my Bible, and I would look for a promise that correlated with a need that I had. Then I would go into my prayer room, and I would put my finger on that promise and say, Lord, I claim this promise. You did it back yonder for them, and here I've got a need right now. I expect you to do it for me. And he said God would answer. Isn't that tremendous? Now, I believe the devil would rather you attend church. I believe he'd rather you drop in a few coins in the Collection plate as it goes by, I don't think he would mind you reading the Bible nearly as much as for you to have a real prayer life. Because the power in your life and the power in my life comes through prayer. And listen, if you make a commitment to God that you're going to start praying more than you prayed in the past, you're going to set aside some time to pray, you're going to find the enemy will cause every distraction in the world to happen during your prayer time. You'll have people you haven't seen in years just crawl out of the woodwork and call and want, want to meet with you about the time you're going to meet with God. Anything to interrupt your prayer flow. And the most powerful force for good, the most powerful force for God is prayer. You say, Pastor, I want to pray. I know you do. And uh, I, I, I want to share with you three things That if you can get a hold of it, I believe it will help to change your life spiritually. Three little words. And I want to just break down this verse expositionally. He said, if you abide in me, I want to take that word abide. Abide. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, he uses the word abide in chapter 15 three times in verse 4. Abide, abide, abide. Then in chapter in verse 5, he uses that word abide. Then in verse 6, he uses the word abide. And I said, Oh God, I get it. I get it. You don't have to say any more to me. Five times you told me, I need to abide in you and let your words abide in me. So apparently I I get it, this word abide. Now you gotta understand when you're reading the Bible, you have the Old Testament, and then you have over here the New Testament. Two divisions, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, okay? You say, well, I I want the original Bible. Well, then you better study Hebrew because it was written in Hebrew. And then the New Testament, most of it was written in Greek, some of it Arabic. So if you want to go back to the original, then you need to study the Greek language. And that word abide is memo in the original Greek language. And it simply means to stay close to God no matter what. When it says you need to abide in me and my words need to abide in you, it means that you get as close to God. I doubt if any of us are crowding him any. Get as close to him as you can in spite of whatever might be happening. That means you're not running around doing your own thing. You're trying to find the mind and the mood of God. And you're getting as close to the will of God as you possibly can live. Whether it's good, whether it's bad times, you make a commitment to stay close to God no matter what. Adrian Rogers, before he died, said that word abide means leaning upon Jesus moment by moment. Anybody bring your cell phone? I got my cell phone. About stole that girl's phone, didn't I? i uh, been having trouble with my iPhone. The other day I picked it up and went to make a call and it was deader than a doornail. I thought I'd found one of my church members I hadn't seen in years. We've got some members, even the F- FBI can't even locate them. And I wonder what's wrong with this phone. And I, I, I like my iPhone. It, I've got a GPS on it where it hel- helps me find where I'm at and how to get there. And, and uh, I've got email and I got text messaging and, and uh, I can get weather reports and uh, I can just find out all kinds I can get on the internet highway. It just goes for miles and miles and many miles. And so I like my iPhone, but it was dead. And I started down the road the other day and and uh, checked before I'd left home, and I'd, I kept hearing a sound. It kept waking me up, and it was just a little sound going on and off, and what it was, my phone wasn't charging right. It was getting a little juice, and then it quit. And so, as we started up the road, Jan said, your phone's dead. I said, you got to be kidding me. I had it on charge all night. She said, it's dead. I said, well, is there a charger in here? She said, yes. So she took it and she plugged in that charging wire down here in the bottom where that uh, receptacle is. And when she shoved it in, she had to hold it in tight so it would charge. The moment she took the pressure off, it quit charging. That iPhone is of no value if it's not co- connected to power and charged. I mean, this phone with the GPS, everything is on it is literally of no value. It's worthless if it's not connected to the power source. So as soon as we got someplace, I said, Jen, I think I know what's wrong. She said, what in the world is it? And generally they want you to just go ahead and trade it in about that time. I said, I think there's some debris down inside of that little hole there where you put the charging wire. So I got a little wire that had a barb at the end and I stuck it in there and very carefully I began to move that thing around and boy, I began to pull out little wads of Lent and more Lent and little more Lent and put it back in. Boy, she began to charge again. The phone is as good as this in connection with the power source to receive a charge. And God is saying, you need to be as close to me as you should be if you're going to have any power in your life. You've got to be plugged in, you've got to be connected. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I and our lives are of no value to God unless we're connected to the power source, unless we're uh, abiding. That's why that word abiding is so important. Now, Chester and Alice had been married for 60 years. They are an old couple. And he had an old Packard with that great big steering wheel, and, and uh, he was out on the two-lane road, and they were going in for their Thursday evening and get some ice cream. She's over there in her corner of the front seat. Had one big long seat. she had to call to him, made a date so they could have communicated nearly a big car. And he's driving along and he's puttering and cars are lined up behind him and they can't get around him. Horns are blowing, but he didn't know it. He's half deaf. Driving his packard. They came into town and came to a stoplight and pulling up next to him was one of these little hot rods and a young couple in it, and it had a bucket seat, and the girl was sitting in the bucket seat with the guy. Alice looked over. She couldn't figure it out. It looked like one body with two heads. She couldn't figure which head was driving the car. And she adjusted her spectacles and looked it over, and she said, Hey, Chester, look over at these. They're both in the same bucket together. Okay. And he's holding on to the steering wheel. She said, Chester, do you remember when it used to be that way with us? What happened? He said, I'm sitting where I've always said I haven't moved. You moved. And I've come all the way here this morning to tell you that God hasn't moved. That God's the same. And God's still on the throne. And he said, if you really want to get charged up and you really want the power in your life, you're going to have to abide in me and my words abide in you. I hope you get that. You say, well, pastor, I'm enjoying the message so far. I suppose you're going to teach us how to abide. Well, you're right. I'm going to attempt to. I want you to look at Matthew 17, verse 14. It's a little story. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. When praying about himself, he was concerned about his boy. For he said, he's a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. Now, theologians believe this boy had a demon or demons, and that he would literally throw himself around. Now, I'm not going to get off on that. Here's all, all I'm going to say, okay? Get this. I think the father did the right thing. He brought his boy to Jesus. I admire him for that. He didn't send him. He brought him. Don't tell your kids how important church is and then you head off to the golf course. Don't just send the kids. Bring your kids. Ask for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be a family that goes to church together. Now let's get to the next verse. And it said, and brought him to the disciples. And he said, I brought him to them and they, couldn't, they could not cure him. So something's wrong because in Matthew chapter 10, verse eight, Jesus had given them all authority. The Bible said to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils and etc. cetera. And the disciples couldn't do it. So you ask, well, pastor, why couldn't they do it? Well, look at verse 17. Jesus answered and said, he said, here's the reasons you couldn't. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Here's two reasons they couldn't do it. First of all, they were unbelieving. He was saying, you're not as connected to me as you should be. It's a faith issue. And he said, you weren't plugged in like you need to be. You're not as close to me as you. You're unbelieving, oh, faithless generation. But wait, not only were they unbelieving, he said, you were perverse. You're not connected to me, but he's saying you're connected to the world. Now, here they are. They're not connected enough to God, and they're too connected to the world. You're not abiding in me, but you're abiding in the world. That's the reason they couldn't do it. And I believe the reason many times that God doesn't answer our prayer, we're not connected enough to Him. And some of us are too connected to the world. We spend more time with Hollywood than we do with the Holy Word. We spend more time talking to everybody else than we do talking to him. I had someone come up to me this morning after the first service, and they said, Pastor, God laid fasting on my heart a week ago, and it's interesting you're speaking about it now. I felt that I ought to give up social media for a little while and give it a rest. And how many people, before you even speak to your spouse, You're on social media. We're over here on Facebook or or Twitter or whatever, and we're talking to all these different ones and typing a text to them and on and on. And the last thing we do at night, we put ourselves to sleep talking to others, not even with each other in the bed. He said, I want to fast that. I want to break that, and I want to get away from that. Most of us, too connected to the world. We're trying to straddle the fence, and we're trying to please everybody. You know, we're in a time when the church is too worldly and the world's too churchy. And I'm simply saying, we'll never make a difference until we start being different. God never called us to act like, and talk like, and think like, and respond like, and be like the world. In fact, the matter, God's called us to be a royal priesthood, and he's called us out to uh, uh, be a chosen generation. Now I want you to jump on down to verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil. So, I mean, it doesn't take much of a theologian to realize this isn't just an ordinary meeting that Christ is having with this man and his son. It's not just a healing. He didn't pull out any holy anointing oil and pray over he literally spoke and rebuked the devil and the devil departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. But wait, verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? They're embarrassed. And in verse 20, Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Now I want you to jump into verse 21 and really catch this. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. What was the problem? Twofold. Unbelief and perversion. Not connected enough to God and too connected to the world. So what's the remedy? He said you need to pray and you need to fast. What does prayer do? Prayer connects us to God. And what does fasting do? Fasting Disconnects us to the world. Do you get it? Unbelief, perversion. Not connected to God, too connected to the world. So God says, Why don't you pray and that'll connect you to me? And why don't you fast so you'll disconnect with the world and all that stuff that's out there? Now, most of us have been raised around the church, or many of us have. Uh, you've heard about giving, you've heard about praying. But many of us have not heard much about fasting. But could I remind you that the Bible has a lot to say about fasting. It's mentioned 70 times in scripture. Must be important. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 and on down through, it talks about our giving and our praying and our fasting. And Jesus said, when thou doest alms, that means giving. Now wait, Jesus just assumed that you're going to give. Me too. You agree in that what he's saying here? When thou give us? When you give your alms? When? You know, when it comes to giving, some folks stop at nothing. When it comes to giving, some folks stop at nothing. That was a great thought, but you didn't get it. Now look at what it says in verse 7. When you pray, he assumes that you're going to, to give. He assumes you're going to pray. And then in verse 17, but he said when you fast, he assumes also, ladies and gentlemen, that we are going to fast. So he said I want you to give, I want you to pray, but I also want you to fast. So what does fasting do? Let me get to that. Why would uh, why would Moses and why would David and why would Elijah and why would Nehemiah Nehemiah and Esther and Jonah and Jesus and Paul? Why would all of those fast? Because fasting weakens the fleshly man, and it strengthens the spiritual man. Now think about it. We do everything possible to take care of this fleshly man, this body of ours. Isn't that true? I mean, we tan it and we go get a workout and we tone it and we go on another one of these go diets and we trim it and, and uh, I suppose we try to train it and then some of us tuck it. Some of you have been tucked. But fasting strengthens the spiritual man. Now, how do you get results? First of all, you abide. And the next thing you do, according to this little verse, you ask. Yes, ask, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. You shall ask what you will. James chapter 4, verse 2, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and you war and yet you have not because you ask not. If we understood the privilege of prayer, most of us would do a lot more praying. We'd be praying right now if we really understood the power of prayer. We'd pray without ceasing. Out in Kansas City, they have a lot of those uh, Ben and Jerry ice cream parlors where you get ice cream. This lady had stopped and parked, and boy, she had a hunger for some ice cream and went into Ben and Jerry's and ordered her ice cream cone and paid for it. They stuck an ice cream cone in her hand, and she was going to hurry outside. And when she spun around, standing in line right behind her was Brad Pitt. She looked into his blue eyes, and her knees nearly buckled. It was all she could do to keep from going down. She muttered something and headed outside, and when she got outside, she went to lick on her ice cream, and she didn't have it. So she turned around and went back inside, and Brad Pitt was standing there with his mouth open looking at her, said, are you hunting for your ice cream cone? She said, yes. He said, you put it in your purse with your change. Now, now, if looking into the eyes of Brad Pitt would make, make your knees buckle, what about being in the presence of Almighty God? God who is omniscient and God who is omnipotent and God who is from everlasting to everlasting. God who is eternal. Listen, our knees ought to buckle in that kind of a presence. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace is such you can never ask too much. For God to respond, we've got to abide connected in Him and in Him. And we've got to ask, and when you do, the third point is God answers. John fifteen seven. it closes out by saying, it shall be done unto you. Warren be said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of God's willingness. So I'm challenging you, You today. Join with me in some prayer and some fasting. And according to Isaiah 58, verse 6, if you'll start today with me praying and fasting, there's four things that are going to happen. Number one, according to this Bible, the hungry are fed. Isaiah 58:7, share your food with the hungry. When a fast is biblical the hungrier fed. The second thing that happens when a fast is biblical, healing takes place. Isaiah 58, 8 says, thine health shall spring forth speedily. Now here's what I know. I try not to say anything I don't know. I don't know much, so I don't say much. But here's what I know. Everybody listening to me right now needs a healing. Everybody. You either need a healing in your marriage, or you need a healing in your parenting. You may need a healing when it comes to your finances. It may be relational healing that some of us need. It may be an attitudinal healing that we need. It may be a physical, it may be a spiritual, but everybody listening to me right now, whether by live stream, telecast, or right here in this congregation, everybody needs some kind of a healing. Some of you have addictions. You're fighting those addictions. You struggle with them. You battle with them. You hope you'll overcome it. And it seems like it controls you and you can't seem to get around it. And you can't get past it. And you can't get over it. And you can't seem to get through it. And it's following you through the weeks and the months and the years of your life. It could be addiction to pornography. And again, you can't seem to get the strength to get out of that world of darkness. It might be alcohol, and it may be that you haven't gone a day for years without having a drink. But I'm here to tell you that God's got a grace and a help that can change your life. God can bring healing into your home and bring deliverance to your soul and can break the very chains that bound your mind and bound your body for a number of years. You can get deliverance. So the hungry are fed. Healing takes place. And a third thing, if a biblical fast takes place, a right standing with God happens. Look at verse 8. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. What happens? When you begin to honor God, you begin to get in a right position. You begin to get into a right standing before God. Here's a fourth thing that happens. God answers our prayers. That's what he says. Look at verse 9. Then shalt thou call in the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, here I am. I want you to move your way back into that story in Matthew chapter 17. A man very desperate brings his son who needs deliverance. I believe that God can bring you to a point of desperation, that'll bring you to a point of dependency upon God Almighty, that'll bring you to a point of deliverance. That God can break the habits that have controlled us for years. Now, I want to be transparent with you. I'm trying to close. With all the happenings of this ministry, I've been here for 30 years. We've got four campuses, our three campuses, we've got four services. If you want to talk about online, we've got actually another campus there that is bigger than all the other campuses put together. More people watch. That you'd ever dream because of the television outreach that goes into city after city after city in northern parts of Ohio, big cities, mass populations. And there are loads and there are responsibilities that only God has the answer for. And as a pastor, I stand before you this morning telling you our only hope is in God. I don't know about you, but I'm committing afresh at a new, to leaning upon God for his wisdom. For I've tried everything else and I can't fix things. But I know one that can. And I don't know if you want to join me, but I want to spend my time in the future abiding in him like never before. I want to be so connected and so plugged in and the power of God so real in my life that I don't miss it. I want to abide in him. It gives me the right to ask of my father, who I believe when we ask and we mean business and it's for the welfare of his kingdom I believe God will answer. Now I can't fix everything but I know a God that can. And I'm going to lean on God and I close by asking you this. How many is willing to join me and say pastor during this prayer series if God will help me. I'm going to abide in him like I should. I'm going to begin to ask God for the needs that are in my life and in this ministry. And I want to see God begin to bring the answers. Can I see your hands? Now, I can't hardly see back through the darkness, but I'm hoping that nearly at least three-fourths of the hands went up in this congregation. I want God to do something miraculous. We're seeing a touchdown and a move down at Asbury College and University. It's starting to hit other colleges. It's getting into churches unorchestrated, no special guest speaker, no high-powered singers, nobody to manipulate anything. And I'm just simply saying, God, do that with this ministry. Take us where we've never been. Help us to get so honest. Yes. (laughs) Let's get so honest before God that we humble ourselves. Even if our knees buckle and we say, God, It's not about me, and I don't have the answers, and I can't move this thing, and I don't know which way to go. God, give me wisdom, and suddenly God shows up, and God begins to supply the needs, and God begins to change us and our families and our marriages until we've got a hunger like we've never had. I don't know about you. I need him in my business world, the little world that I have some business in. I need him in my ministry. I need him in my relationships. I want him at my house. I want him, when I'm on the phone with my kids, I want them to know that it's not just a preacher dad, but it's somebody that's abiding in God. And they can trust me out of the presence that I have with God to give them the right answers. Stand with me if you would. And I'm going to ask Howard, if he doesn't mind, to close us out in in a word of prayer this morning. And let's abide in God. Let's abide in Him. Let's ask Him. Let's get our answers from Him while we pray. Jesus, thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's pastor, Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit usirisnazarene.org.